Welcome to the Dermatology Podcast, the official podcast of the European Academy of Dermatology and Venereology. I'm Christopher Horskamp. And I'm Cécile Mitoire. And we are your hosts. Today, we will be visiting the topics of sunbed use and the risk of skin cancer. We've chosen this topic and are dedicating two episodes to it because May is Skin Cancer Awareness Month. And of course, May the 1st is this Saturday. We'll get to the research in a moment. But first... EADV Live will host a webcast, Dermoscopy from Head to Toes, on Wednesday, May 5th at 6 p.m. Central European Summertime. Tune in on YouTube Live, Facebook Live, and for members, sign up on the EADV eLearning platform. During the live webcast, you can submit questions for the speakers. More information is available on EADV's social media pages and, of course, on www.eadv.org under education. And... We're just a week away. That's right. On the 6th and 7th of May, the EADV Spring Symposium will be one of the most important virtual events this spring. With over 100 speakers and 30 hours of semi-live lectures, our scientific program is full of exciting updates. For more information, go to www.eadvsymposium2021.org. And now... The weather is starting to get warmer, and regardless of the COVID situation, people are preparing to be outdoors and planning a summer of being in the sunshine. Beaches, barbecues, hiking, swimming, and general fun under the sun. Some people may be thinking about going to solarium to get a head start on the summer and get that base tan, but our guest today would advise you otherwise. You see, May Skin Cancer Awareness Month. And just some numbers on that. Uh, Euromelanoma has published that annual cases of melanoma, the deadliest form of skin cancer, have increased by nearly 50%. Further, the WHO predicts that by 2025, the number of deaths resulting from melanoma will increase by 20%, rising to 74% by 2040. One person dies from melanoma every four minutes, and this doesn't factor in the non-melanoma skin cancer. There are some absolutely unnecessary risks when it comes to skin cancer, and that brings us the subject of today's podcast, Solariums and our guest, Professor Mariano Suppa. Mariano Suppa is an associate professor of dermatology at the Université Libre de Bruxelles in Brussels, Belgium, and currently serves as the vice president of the Non-Invasive Skin Imaging Group for the Société Française Dermatologie, member of the Communication Committee of the EADV, a member of Euromelanoma Prevention Campaign Organizing Committee, and a member of the Hydrodenitis Suppurativa Global Alliance Expert Group. After his studies in Italy, France, and the UK, he subsequently got his PhD at the Université Libre de Bruxelles with a thesis on sunbed use in Europe, which we will come back to in this interview. Within the last two years, he published 13 papers for the Journal of the European Academy of Dermatology and Venereology on sunbed use, uh, non-invasive skin imaging, and hydrodenitis suppurativa. Professor Supa, thank you for joining us in this, the first of two episodes with you to discuss your research in the risks of sunbed use. Welcome to the Dermatology Podcast. Thank you for having me. Hello, everyone. So I'd like to jump right into sunbed use and melanoma risk. Uh, sunbeds and tanning devices are a significant public health issue. As one of the most acknowledged experts in the field, we, we would like to ask you to share some of your insights. 
What are the associated health risks with sunbed use? Well, as you said, the main uh, health risk associated with some bad use is the increased uh, carcinogenicity. Uh, and in particular, uh, it has been widely demonstrated that uh, using some beds uh, is able to increase the risk of developing a melanoma later in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and this uh, statement that I've just done uh, comes from a wide um, body of evidence, including uh, notably six uh, meta-analyses. And all six meta-analyses consistently demonstrated that uh, ever exposure to indoor tanning is able to increase the risk uh, of melanoma by um, in between 15 and 25%. So this might seem uh, not a lot, only 15 to 25%. But then when the analysis is restricted uh, to uh, exposure of some bed in youth, so when the first exposure occurs before age uh, 25, 30 or 35, according to the studies, well, in that case, uh, the magnitude of the risk is uh, well increased. For example, an important meta-analysis by Bognol and uh, co-workers in 2012 found that if first exposure occurs before age 35, then the risk of melanoma increases by 87%. So it it is almost the double, Mm. uh, which is very, very important. Other evidences, uh, uh, which are more recent, also uh, suggested that um, um, in indoor tanners uh, um, that have already de- who have already developed a melanoma, uh, there is an increased risk of uh, developing additional primary melanomas as compared to non-indoor tanners. And also, uh, in a recent uh, um, study that I personally performed on the Euromelanoma database, uh, which was at that time uh, including about uh, 230,000 participants from, from all over Europe, uh, it was found that uh, some bad use is, is associated not just with skin cancer, but also with a higher prevalence of uh, skin cancer risk factors, such as a high nevus count, atypical nevus, and sun damage. Also, it was demonstrated by another meta-analysis that uh, there is an increased risk of developing a non-melanoma skin cancer uh, if uh, the, patient, uh, the patients used in the, um, uh, indoor tanning. For example, this risk is increased by 67% for squamous cell carcinoma and by 29% for basal cell carcinoma. And this was a huge meta-analysis, including almost 10,000 uh, cases in total. So I would say that uh, the the main health issue uh, caused by uh, some bad use is the uh, increased risk of skin cancer, be that melanoma or non-melanoma skin cancer. And indeed, this large body of evidence justifies the fact that the uh, IARC, which is the International Agency of of Research on Cancer, which is an agency of of the WHO, the World Health Organization, uh, considers the entire uh, ultraviolet spectrum 
including uh, some beds, uh, as carcinogenic to humans uh, with the maximum level uh, of evidence. Uh, so the WHO placed some beds in the same group, group one, uh, as cigarette smoking, for example, or asbestos, so, which is the group uh, who displays the maximum evidence of uh, carcinogenicity. But besides skin cancer, we see other negative effects, right? For example, skin burns or ocular disorders or uh, the induction of immunosuppression, uh, local or systemic, and also very important in order to convince people not to use them, premature skin aging mm -hmm. uh, in terms of wrinkles, for example, or uh, uh, lentiginous. And then uh, a last um, uh, thing to say is that uh, sometimes uh, for very frequent users, uh, we can have an addiction developing if you use a lot of indoor tanning. The, the so-called tanning addition or tannorexia. Uh, there is actually, there, there is indeed moderate evidence that uh, frequent tanning can be considered as an addictive behavior. And why? Because there are, of course, positive emotions when we expose ourselves to the sun, but also to some beds, such as feeling relaxed, feeling more comfortable or more attractive, more powerful. I mean, we all experience uh, these emotions when we are, for example, in the sun. And these emotions are experienced also by uh, very frequent sunbed users. And why is that? Well, very likely because when we expose ourselves to ultraviolet radiation, there is an increased production of beta endorphins, which are, which are the well-being hormones. So, all that uh, really calls into question whether uh, some beds should be used or not. And in my opinion, of course, they shouldn't. I want to finish this section of the interview by uh, stating that, in my opinion, uh, some bad use is a public health problem and not just a public health problem, but also an economical problem, because a recent study in the US calculated that the cost of medical care for treating skin cancer or other health issues attrib attributable to indoor tanning in the US amounts to more than $343 million per year. So. If some, bed, some beds didn't exist, U.S. could save $343 million per year. So it's a public health problem and an economical problem for post-industrial economies. Absolutely. So how much UV radiation are sunbed sun users exposed to? Um, you've, you've gone through how it's harmful to our health, but how, how much radiation itself are, are we talking about? Well, uh, this is a difficult question because, of course, ov over uh, the course of the years, uh, uh, some beds varied, uh, the, the quality of some beds, the quality of the lamps. I, I think we can say that some beds are, are of different types and can emit both uh, ultraviolet A and ultraviolet B in different doses. Mm -hmm. uh, but this is concerning because both UVA and UVB rays are able to induce melanoma, although via uh, distinct pathways. So for example, UVB uh, by uh, directly, co directly causing uh, DNA mutation and UVA by indirectly causing DNA mutation via oxidative stress. But at any rate, we can say that uh, no matter the quantity of UVA and UVB, some beds are dangerous. Uh, the current legislative measures uh, that are taken in, at the European level um, stated that uh, the maximum total effective irradiance should be below 
300 mi uh, microwatt per meter squared. And this was uh, uh, stated and decided by the European Commission, Commission by an harmonized European standard, which is uh, available to everyone on the, on the internet. Uh, also, the other legislative measure at the European level, although, I, and I will, uh, I will tell you more about this, it, it is not applied by all countries, is that minors, so individuals less than 80, 18 years old, uh, are prevented to do uh, um, some beds. Mm -hmm. uh, and in some countries, also high-risk individuals, for example, uh, skin type 1 individuals or individuals with a family history of melanoma mm -hmm. are prevented to do some beds. Okay. At any rate, in my opinion, even if these measures are applied in uh, most countries in Europe, in my opinion, they are totally insufficient. Mm -hmm. And why? Well, first of all, because uh, it has been demonstrated, and by the way, by a Belgian uh, ministerial inquiry in 2017, that most uh, tanning parlors, tanning saloons, uh, we can call them uh, whatever we like, um, actually don't, don't really follow the rules. Because sometimes there are uh, malfunctioning or obsolete machines. Sometimes there is a lack of compliance with the leg legislation. Sometimes there is an absence of warnings for at-risk individuals and of course sometimes there, there is inappropriate use by customers and, and most of the times these customers are not uh, controlled are not checked so the law is there but then what about the enforcement of the law so uh, you know and it has been demonstrated that this is not well respected at least in the majority of cases but also there is another reason why i think the legislation is insufficient and this reason it's not the thinking of Mariano Supa. This reason is the thinking of the European Commission and the WHO, because they both recently stated that there is no such thing as a safe limit for exposure to UV radiation coming from some beds. Mm -hmm. So basically, the, uh, on, on the one hand, the European Commission stated, uh, okay, the, the limit of the total irradiance should be not above 300 microwatt per meter square. But then in another document, the same European Commission stated that there is no safe limit so basically, they shouldn't be done. Why? Also because the occurrence of skin cancer coming from some bed uh, is stochastic. So basically, there is, of course, there is a dose response effect, but sometimes we cannot really find it. So even for people uh, doing a, a very limited amount of sessions, there is an increased risk. I, I just want to stress that all the meta-analysis actually um, uh, provide uh, odds ratio, so a parameter of risk of de developing a melanoma coming from some bed, uh, even for one single exposure. Okay. So the parameter is ever exposure to some bed. So at least statistically, even one exposure can increase the risk of melanoma even by almost 90%. Well, I will jump right on the, the end of, of what you just say to ask, and, and on the scientific side, can we know with a certain level of certainty that there is a causal relationship between sunbed and uh, sunbed use and melanoma? Well, this is, of course, the, the, the most obvious question, and the, 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 this was the question was asked to me many, many times also during my PhD defense. Mm -hmm. I would like to say yes, but unfortunately, no, we can't. Mm -hmm. we, we can't know with absolute scientific certainty if the, the, relationship, the relationship is causal and why. Because in science, uh, in order to be able to say, yes, the, the, there is a causality, we have to perform a randomized clinical trial. So ideally, we should take a bunch of people and split them in two 
in two groups and, and, and then have the first group doing some bets and the second group not doing some bets and then see after a, a few years uh, who, uh, where, where there is more melanoma. So, of course, we cannot do that because it would be obviously completely unethical. Right. Uh, yes. But however, I would say that we have numerous experimental animal studies that demonstrated that UV radiation is a complete carcinogen mm -hmm. by acting both as an initiator of melanoma through genotoxicity and a promoter of melanoma through immunosuppression, as I said before. So uh, I think that even by uh, basing ourselves just on animal studies, there could be uh, enough uh, indication of causality. However, um, I, with Sara Gandini, my co-promoter uh, uh, of my PhD, uh, I, she's a professor in Milan, a, a world-renowned epidemiologist in melanoma. She published a lot on uh, melanoma and some beds. I performed a, um, a within my PhD, an uh, in-depth review of the literature. Uh, and with this review, we also wanted to really investigate whether there, there, were, there, there was another mean to uh, demonstrate causality for this relationship. Mm -hmm. And so we went back uh, in the medical, medicine history. And um, in 1965, an epidemiology professor uh, called Hill uh, stated the nine criteria for causality in science. So we went back to these nine criteria and we tried to, in, in a sort of epidemiological exercise, to apply all nine of them to the relationship between sunbed use and melanoma. And guess what? We were able to do it. And this, this is published, unfortunately, not in GIDV. This is published in another journal. <laughs> but we were able to apply all the nine criteria to the relationship between sunbed use and melanoma risk. For example, the strength of association is applicable because uh, the, the relationship is strong. Um, I said that for a first exposure in youth, the risk estimate is at least 60, 60% and it can be as high as 87%. The relationship is consistent, second criteria. It is specific also. Uh, there is temporality because, of course, the effect uh, uh, occurs after the cause, and this was shown by uh, prospective court studies uh, about uh, sunbed and melanoma. Uh, there is a biological gradient because uh, the studies were able to show uh, a dose-response effect. The more you do sunbeds, the more the risk of developing melanoma later in life. Of course, another criteria is plausibility. This is applicable, of course, because the relationship is plausible um, because uh, animal studies uh, showed the same. And, uh, and also an, another um, uh, criterion is the coherence and the analogy. Uh, because the effect of similar factors um, may be considered. And, and in this case, uh, the effect of the most similar factor, which is sun exposure on melanoma risk, is widely, widely established. And then the last um, uh, criterion uh, is the experimental proof. Well, in this case, we cannot have an experimental proof on humans because we cannot do randomized control trials, which would be, I repeat, highly unethical. Mm -hmm. But I would stress that even Professor Hill in 1965 said that the experimental proof, um, one should appeal to the experimental evidence or the experimental proof occasionally only when it is possible. In this case, it's not possible, but I think that we have a wide enough body of evidence to assess that the relationship is causal, okay? And 
of course, when this paper came out, then there was a reply from uh, by some authors which are actually in favor of some bad use. Uh, and of course, we're criticizing us because we, we said that, you know, that, that the relationship is causal even in, uh, in, in the absence of randomized clinical trial. And this reminded me a bit of the, um, of the story of cigarette smoking and lung cancer, because similar to some bad use and skin cancer, also for cigarette smoking and lung cancer, there are absolutely no randomized clinical trial demonstrating that cigarette smoking induces lung cancer. Mm -hmm. And of course, they, they, I mean, they, they, there are not uh, randomized clinical trials, so nor ever they will be, because they, they will be uh, completely uh, unethical. Uh, in both cases, uh, um, this was used as an argument by the tanning industry and the tobacco industry to imply right. that, that these relationships are not causal. But of course, I mean, this is not true in my opinion. I, I think that... Uh, the large amount of data coming from observational and prospective studies provides enough information for us to infer that some bad use causes melanoma. Okay, and therefore, I think that as I wrote in my in that particular review of the literature, the debate over whether some bad use contributes to melanoma risk should be considered conclusively closed, in my opinion. Could you tell us a little bit about the experience of of your patients when they go to these? Tanning, tanning salons, or where, where are they going to get tan? So some of them have been in uh, uh, tanning parlors in which uh, there was, there was uh, train, uh, trained staff who uh, would give some information. Mm -hmm. uh, some others have been, uh, you know, in other uh, salons with no trained staff. Uh, you know, so in, my, in the experience of my patients, it varies greatly, even even in the same country, even in the same city. For example, I'm, I'm reporting the experience of patients in Brussels. Mm -hmm. So I know for sure that this varies a lot. And I also know, but I mean, of course, this is just hearsay, but I also know that in, you know, in some cases, even for like very young people who you could not really tell whether they are minors or not, uh, actually the age is not even asked, you know? Oh. Yeah. So. But of course, this is this is hearsay, so I can I cannot swear on that. But you know that that is what my patients told me. So that was a really nice intro into the hazards of sunbed use. And next week we're going to go even deeper into this research. But can we take a moment to ask about the researcher himself? Could you tell us about your professional journey and motivation? Who were some of the people who influenced your educational and professional development? Well, about my professional journey, it started uh, in Italy, where I was a medical student uh, in the city of L'Aquila, under the guidance of uh, Professor Katki Peris, uh, who is the current head of the Italian Society of Dermatology, and she was also the Secretary General of the last World Congress of Dermatology, and also uh, with Professor Maria Concetta Farnioli, who is currently part of uh, uh, the board of several scientific societies in Italy and abroad. But then my professional journey uh, became uh, much more varied uh, due to uh, uh, actually a terrible event, an earthquake uh, which took place in 2009 in the city of L'Aquila. So after that, because our department was destroyed, I was sent in England, in Leeds, uh, to do one year and a half of uh, uh, dermatology uh, training uh, under the guidance of another 
inspirational figure uh, in my journey, uh, who is Professor Julian Newton Bishop, uh, who is the head of the Genomal Consortium for Genetic Research in Melanoma. Um, then after I gained my dermatology uh, uh, training uh, in Italy in 2012, I came to Brussels uh, to do one year uh, of research uh, within the uh, ERTC, which is the European Organization for Research and Treatment of Cancer. And then uh, after that, I, stay, I decided to stay in Brussels um, uh, in the Department of Dermatology uh, of the Hôpital Erasme, Université Libre de Bruxelles, where I'm still currently am, uh, and under the guidance of Professor Veronique Del Marmol, uh, who is the European Chair of Euromelanoma Skin Cancer Prevention Campaign. And I, uh, I wanted to say this because the euromelanoma then became something very important in my career. I, perfor I performed my PhD exploiting the database of euromelanoma. And um, in this uh, department in which I currently uh, am, I had the chance and the liberty to develop different interests in my uh, clinical and research activity, uh, such as uh, non-invasive diagnosis of skin cancer, hydrodenatis uh, suppurativa, and uh, also um, epidemiological research, especially in some bad use. And that was the, uh, the main focus of my PhD uh, that I achieved in 2019. We're going to hear more from Associate Professor Supa next week in part two, and we thank him for his time with us today. Some of the research discussed today can be found in the JADV. Though you can find pre-access and open-access articles, EEDV members benefit greatly by having access to all articles and content. We would like to send a special thank you to all of our listeners. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, or otherwise find us on any major podcast provider. We appreciate you joining us and look forward to presenting more interviews, research, and other topics of merit. Until the next episode. Take care of your skin.